Hello, this is Fantastic Noise. In this episode of the podcast, we are focused on what makes witty audio. We are going to hear from BBC Studios Head of Radio Comedy, Julia McKenzie, about making side-splitting sounds. I'm Terry Lee. Thanks for your time and for your ears. As senior tutor in radio and audio at the University of Bedfordshire, a big part of my role is teaching and assessing students, our final year undergraduates, as part of a gruelling set of group work challenges, are always given one task that I think is particularly difficult, making a 25-minute radio comedy. And so, final year team, this one is with you in mind, comedy is the theme of this podcast. Uh, Creating comedy, especially from scratch, must be daunting with any medium. But without visuals, I can't help but think it's particularly challenging to make funny radio. To assist me in the studio, I'm joined by a media production student from the University of Bedfordshire, Nathan Edwin. Hello, Nathan. Uh, Hello. How are you doing today? I'm I'm delighted, Nathan. Delighted that you're here at this year, you are taking the final year radio modules, so you'll be asked to make that radio comedy as part of a group. Is this something that you're looking forward to, Nathan? Um, not really. <laughs> like, <laughs> being funny isn't necessarily my forte. My idea of being funny is kind of insulting my friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, I can't, like, I can't wait to uh, hear what comedy programme <laughs> you guys come up with then. Uh, no. Why did you um, choose radio, Nathan, then? Um... If not for comedy, this, this is this is a really weird story. I, I'll, I'll try and keep it short, but um, it was actually an accident, and that sounds really weird. But um, when I studied here, I did a foundation course, um, mm. and in that foundation course, we just so happened to do radio. Mm. I got to class and I was like, "Why am I? Why am I here? Like, I don't want to do radio. I want to do filming. I want to like use a camera or something." And I just kind of stuck it out. Um, yeah, I just enjoyed it from there. And like the next year, just I, I was just like, do you know. What? going to do radio i'm just going to take it as a course because i kind of enjoy it whatever oh, and then that's it's funny how radio can bite you yeah in it, that way it's definitely like the further along i've gone through university it's the more and more it's kind of not taking up my time but the more i've become more invested in it because when i started second year that's when i started i started presenting on radio mm-hmm. lab with adam and like, i just got more and more involved than now like i'm like one of the managers here so yep you've got <laughs> a busy year ahead yeah, of you definitely <laughs> Coming up in today's Fantastic Noise, we're going to hear from Head of Radio Comedy at BBC Studios, Julia McKenzie. She'll be giving some top tips, explaining the importance of originality in audio comedy and telling us about some of the current trends. Later, we shall be analysing some radio jargon with the Radio Word of the Week. But first... Did you know that the most listened to podcast in the world is Serial, with over 200 million downloads since the first episode was published in 2015? That's a lot of downloads, and it's a great podcast series, particularly Series 1. But Nathan, what have you been enjoying listening to recently? Um, Recently? Well, I wouldn't even say recently, because I only really listen to one of two podcasts, but the main one I listen to is called Free Shots of Tequila. Three shots of tequila. Yep. Tell us about it. What's it about? It's just three dudes just chatting, to be fair. It, it's whatever they, like, the three of them, they just talk about whatever they want. And um, it's just not, It's just a conversation, I think, I feel like. 
so they will talk about like relationships one week or the, they'll talk about like something that happened in their past another week or they'll talk about cars and what I like about it is that it's very relatable because they've grown up in a similar environment as me mm. from a similar background so it's like a lot of the stuff they're saying you can relate to because I'm like oh yeah that like I don't know someone might say oh yeah one time I got like someone's chased me down the road in Peckham and I'll be sitting there like oh yeah Peckham's a really dangerous area I can see that happening <laughs> so <laughs> um, yeah like they're very relatable and it's, it's just nice it's just a nice way to take up my Friday evening just listen to podcasts and just relax well three shots of tequila sounds like one to, to listen to thank Definitely. you Nathan I like to share something I'm listening to as well uh, this week I'm going to go a little meta and, and make this a university staff podcast that praises another one for your ears only is hosted by the University of Sussex and is presented by Martin Spinelli the senior lecturer in the School of Media Film and Music at the University of Sussex and Lance Dan who's a senior lecturer in the Department of Media Studies at the University of Brighton (sighs) so that's a lot of uh, university titles there it takes an in-depth look at the world of podcasting features interviews from the teams that have bought you Serial, Radiolab, The Heart, My Dad Wrote a Porno and many others. And it's really nicely produced by Ella Gray Thomas, uh, Jack F. Dewars and Andrew Duff. So if you're looking at podcasts at an academic level, and uh, Nathan, that could well apply to yep. you, you'll want to check this one out. So it's called For Your Ears Only. As a radio scholar, Nathan, might you be persuaded to listen in? I actually might have to try it. Is it on Spotify? It's, it's, I think it's every Everywhere. Oh, perfect. I'll, yeah, I'll definitely listen to it then. I'll say it the chance. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that how you listen to podcasts, Spotify? Yeah, um, I used to listen on SoundCloud and then um, Free Shots Tequila, they happened to get a deal where they're exclusively on Spotify and I had a Spotify um. membership, so I was just like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Those listening to this who are keen to tell us about something that they've been enjoying listening to, you know what to do. I'd love to include what you've been listening to in a future podcast. The email address is fantasticnoise at beds.ac.uk. So back to the focus of this episode, audio comedy. I had a lovely conversation with Julia McKenzie. I am executive editor of radio comedy at BBC Studios, which really means head of radio comedy at BBC Studios. She gave me half an hour of her time between meetings to give me her considered and highly relevant views on radio comedy. I started by asking Julia to outline the basic ingredients for effective, funny audio comedy. I suppose, you know, broadly speaking, um, really your, your comedy show should be funny. And it's, it is very subjective, obviously, comedy. You know, what I might find funny, you might not find so funny. But I think after a while you do get start to get a sense of, um, even if it might not be your taste, of what is clever and surprising and not too derivative. So I guess I'm always looking for an original comic voice or worldview. And it is really important that comedy does surprise and... You know, there is a, obviously, there's always exceptions. You know, there, there might be a frisson that you have from anticipating a particular comedy character's response in a situation because you feel you, you really know them well. Um, but generally, we're sort of always on the hunt for something sort of fresh and original, really. You know, there's other rules of comedy that obviously confusion is the enemy of comedy. So in terms of a a radio program that means just don't leave people scratching their head too much so 
that doesn't mean over explaining stuff either but certainly at the start of the show you should set out clearly what the intent is and that's the same for a panel show or satirical show or a sitcom you sort of need to know as a listener why am I gathered here why am I listening to this because if you're spending too long trying to figure it out um, then you won't really be laughing you'll just be overthinking things when, when it's an audience, something re- recorded in front of an audience, uh, a sort of rough thing is you might be looking for about three jokes per page, you know, if you want to be that technical about it, because the audience are there for the reason that you want them to laugh. Obviously, that doesn't mean that there's mo- there can't be moments in the comedy when there's moments of pathos or even tragedy and everyone goes quiet. But what's wonderful about those moments is that you draw the audience into your world and you can hear a pin drop because they care and they've invested in the characters and then you release that tension with a huge belly laugh and, you know, that's one of the, the most joyous things you can witness, really. That's the sweet spot, I think. You know, in terms of creating characters, with sitcom, you know, a common issue is that the main character, the protagonist, can be quite passive um, often writer performers might um, write a vehicle for themselves, for themselves playing the main character, but they feel it's kind of difficult for them to make the main character, i.e. them, as funny as possible. And what often happens is that they surround that main character with really funny characters and they find it easier to write the surrounding characters than they do the, the main character. And that can just get a bit boring. You know, there are... A, there will be, by the way, exceptions to everything I'm saying. And there'll be someone saying, oh, but what about? And there are examples of the everyman in comedy, which is, you know, really compelling stuff. But generally, to have a sort of passive person in the middle reacting to mad things happening or mad characters around them does get quite dull. And you want the comedy to come from complications arising from the choice of that character. So you're looking for that common, that that central character to make decisions that just make their life more and more difficult, rather than just be knocked in and pushed around into going along with things that other people do. And it's also good as well if there's a contemporary resonance. So that could be something that is set in now. It could be something that's set in the future, but it still helps if it has a resonance with what we're going through at the moment and equally that means if you choose to do something historical ideally again it should have thematically somehow connect with what's going on now often commissioners will say why this now and they want a clear obvious reason why that they they should commission this and get it on now and it just really helps i think if what you're doing even if it's set in roman britain has um something that chimes with the individual in 2019 um, you should just think about why this now and that's often what I'm looking at when someone's pitching an idea to me I think why why do we have to make this now one thing which always strikes me when I hear um, comedy comedians funny people on radio and indeed on tv is is just how intelligent funny people and and comedians are is, is that something that you think is important that sort of level of a level of intelligence does that make a successful comedy yeah I, I, th- I think that's very true actually I think there's something about a comedian's brain that it, the way they see the world and the way they deconstruct and analyze 
things. They, I mean, they often a lot of comedians are masters at, at assessing, you know, human behaviour, and they've got great intuition and they're very sharp observers of those small details that can be very funny. That often means they are innately really smart. You know, some are brilliant wordsmiths, and every single word that they choose is there for an absolute reason, and it all earns its place. Others are great, you know, wordplay people. You know, someone like Tim Vine is, um, or Milton Jones, they are people who pun, and they're very silly. But obviously, there's a great sense of satisfaction as a listener to some of their wordplay stuff, because you get it too, and you feel really pleased with yourself. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, th- I think that's true, that intelligence is an important part of it. Um, and, and it can still be daft stuff, but there's an underlying sharpness. You know, someone like Lee Mack doesn't do intellectual comedy, but, you know, just watching him be, you know, off the cuff in Would I Lie to You, you just see what an exceptional, quick brain he's got. And also it's a brain that makes unusual connections in a way that some people don't and it's often those those lightning quick connections they make between things which is so funny really and then something like radio 4 they do look for substance in a lot of their comedy they will commission things like tim vine live from the cradle of time greenwich it's the tim vine chat show and if you look up you'll clock the host clock greenwich ah shove it it's tim vine because it's just pure darkness, but then I guess the wordplay is what's smart about it. And Sean Ed William, who is the Radio 4 Commissioner for Comedy, really does like good substance in the heart of her comedy because she's aware that the Radio 4 listener is very discerning and, and intelligent themselves. So she's often looking for uh, an underlying kind of richness that is really rewarding to those smart audiences. You're talking about commissioners and and staff at Radio 4. I wonder how important, would you say, is a sense of humour in in the BBC radio comedy team itself? Yes, I think think it has to be. um, Surely it's important to have a sense of humour if you're making comedy and you're commissioning it. Um, You do find that if you work professionally in comedy, um, you maybe don't laugh so much. Mm. Um, Well, I'm a really good laugher in so far as I know what's needed of me in an audience situation and I will laugh audibly, um, hopefully not annoyingly, um, (laughs) but I know what um, a comedian needs from me to do their best work. Um, but when it comes to, if you were to put a camera on me when I'm reading some scripts, often you won't see a flicker of a smile over my face. Because I suppose, you know, you, it's just a kind of, you, you're being more objective, really. Um, and, you know, some commissioners, if they have a diff- very different sense of humour to you, um, then that's problematic, I think, because you're not really going to win them over to your your stuff. I suppose sometimes commissioners are able to put aside their personal taste. So, for example, something like Mrs. Brown's Boys mm. was controversial and always gets panned by the critics, as does quite a lot of mainstream comedy. You know, the person who first spotted Mrs. Brown's Boys went to huge theatres in Glasgow and saw the um, theatres packed with people absolutely convulsed in tears of laughter and could see undeniably that it was touching a chord with people. And so you can't really deny that if you witness that and therefore you can rise above your own personal taste and think, I can see why 
this is touching a, a chord with someone and, and you put it on. I work with students, Julia, who are asked in groups to produce a 30-minute radio program, comedy program, uh, in a couple of weeks, and then they are assessed on that. We don't, we don't specify what sort of comedy, we just say it has to be a radio comedy. What one piece of advice would, would you offer those students? I seem to remember when I did a, a radio course, I was asked to do, do a group produce something. And it can be difficult within that group if there's strong opinions about, you know, what that one program is. You know, one person might want to do sketches and the other person want, might, might want to do satirical one-liners. And uh, I don't know. Um, I suppose it sort of goes back to that idea of originality, really. Um, you've got to feel excited about it. And... Don't be too derivative, as tempting as it is to take uh, a show that you really love and emulate it. Um, try and innovate if you can um, and come up with something that feels very fresh and different and might mean you take some risks and it maybe didn't turn out quite how you how you thought. I mean, one perhaps obvious bit of advice is if you're making a 30-minute show... I wouldn't expect you to just record 30 minutes. You know, if you really want it to be a success, I would suggest you want to be recording at least an hour and a half to edit down to 30 minutes. You know, that's what happens with quite a lot of our shows. They're much longer when you're recording them because comedy is not an exact science and a thing that you were, you know, making each other laugh with when you were planning it might just drop dead when you either revisit it, you know, that initial magic of making each other laugh in the room is suddenly gone and when you listen back you think oh god it sucks you know and so you need to be able to cut stuff out yes be a bit ruthless so that's probably the most practical bit of advice i can give and i think that that's really helpful um um, interestingly one one of the pieces of feedback um my colleagues and i often give back to to these programs over the years are that um the the programs where um, there are scripted sections, and and the scripts are funny. Often work in a way where the off the cuff programs or, or the far less scripted programs don't work. Not always, but that's often the case. And and I wonder how, in your experience, those those scripted comedies versus the uh, unscripted comedies work in terms of how much content has to be made to to get the real funny stuff out of it. I suppose taking unscripted. You know, something like the news quiz that obviously goes out at 28 minutes and that can record about an hour and a half, I suppose you'd say. Um, and you that has a number of questions that you work through and everyone chips into those questions. And we record eight questions and sometimes five might just go out. In that situation, you also have the audience to factor in and there might be a story that you think has got a lot of potential, but then it turns out that none of the audience have heard this actual news story, so they don't really quite know what's going on. And then it dies a death. Um, Or there might be something sort of quite dark and tricky to handle that is not all about jokes, but, you know, satire doesn't always have to be hilarious. So, you know, sometimes you just have to try something and see if it works in the room. Uh, And often, you know, the chemistry is a very delicate thing between the panel. If you've got a different um, selection of guests on a weekly basis, one week they might all gel beautifully and really be bouncing off each other. Other times they might be all too worried about their own contributions and a little bit too stiff. And errors you thought might fly um, suddenly don't and you're really 
struggling to kind of get that on fire. Um, with with scripted stuff, gosh, I mean, it all depends on the expertise of the writer, but it can go through many, many versions before it gets recorded. You know, lots of um, drafts and you get notes, you know, as a producer, you give notes to the to the writer and they rewrite maybe two or three times. Then you will have an exec who will then feed back. And occasionally, if, if you know, it's running into problems, you know, you might, you might then go to another person who would also give notes. So it's, it's constantly changing. And then often as well, one of the best ways of, of testing it is by putting it in front of an audience. Even if you aren't intending to record the final show in front of an audience, the test of whether something's funny is to see if people laugh. So you could always just do a table read, even if it's a small group of people. Ideally, people who aren't all invested in the um, show. So you've got some people who don't know anything about it and come to it completely new. Um, and then just see what the reaction in the room is. And there'll be stuff that you were convinced was hilarious, but it won't get anything. And then you have an opportunity to work out why didn't get it get anything and be a bit analytical about it. And then you might... You might ask your audience, say, well, why didn't you think that was funny? And they might just say, well, I, I didn't really understand it. Is that is that an owl mm. or is it someone's dad? Or I didn't quite understand why there was that sound or whatever. And then you realise with a small tweak, you can suddenly transform something or you give the audience a piece of information you thought they would have understood but didn't have. And then once they have that information, they might then get the joke. So, Nathan, there Julia tackled a number of things when I asked her, the head of BBC Radio Comedy, for tips for the students making a 25-minute comedy programme, she said it was a good idea to take some risks and to record at least one and a half hours to edit down to half an hour when making a comedy. Was that helpful advice for you Um, to hear? Yeah, I think it definitely was. Um, I definitely feel like it was important due to the fact that I've been in situations where we've recorded some audio whether it be a uh, interview or a uh, radio show or even a podcast um and we haven't recorded enough audio if that makes sense mm. um and then like let's say you you've got half an hour and you've recorded like 30 minutes you can't you can only use what you've got and it's better to just record more than you need because you can just take out the best bits and just place them where you want to um it just gives you a lot more creative freedom in the in the post production process very good. Yeah, I think I think that's spot on. Uh, we, we also talked, amongst other things, about the cleverness of funny people. Do you have any favourite like comedians or or people um, that you know are funny that you have respect for? I find Kevin Hart kind of funny. Yeah. Um, I find uh, Donald Glover, Charles Gambino. He, I find him really funny, and I mm. find David Chappelle funny. I recently moved how like moved houses. Um, so I moved from like student accommodation to an actual house. Um. And for a whole week, I just didn't have internet. So fortunately, my brother had given me the whole of the Chappelle show mm-hmm. just on, on a USB. So I was just watching it, just literally binge watched it. And I remember there was this one episode where he's told a joke at the start of the the sketch and he just left it, left it for like a good 40 minutes. And then he came back to it right at the end. And I was like, he said the, like, the punchline drops. And I was like, hold on. Did you start this at the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I feel like I have a really weird sense of humor because like one of my friends... Um, he he would do something stupid. He'll just make a sound, and I'll just start laughing. I don't know how to explain it, but do you know the way you joke around with your friends mm. is just very just odd. That that is, I think, not an unusual thing. When when you think about really successful comedies um, over the last few years, we talked about there uh, with Julia, Mrs. Brown's Boys being an example. I'm, I'm, if you're not familiar with it, it's mm. it's quite an old school 
comedy there's a a bloke that's dressed up as a an old lady okay. <laughs> and some people find it offensive some people find it not very funny yeah. lots of people find it hilarious uh, there's there's comedy like the mighty boosh and you know Noel fielding and, and all that sort of yeah. out there slightly strange stuff going on and some people think that's the funniest thing that's ever happened there's so much and little britain and david williams yeah. and stuff like that there's so much Funny weird stuff. stuff just out there I think <laughs> yeah. I think the thing with comedy is that it's very subjective mm. like what I might find funny you might not find funny and vice versa and I feel like just being at university has kind of given me a broader understanding of that because I was kind of in the echo chamber when I was back home because I all my friends we all have the same type of humour yeah. so you kind of just make those jokes and you kind of get to uni and you, you make a joke with someone and they're like they're not laughing and you're like hmm this does like this is if I told this joke to my friends they would all find it funny why do you not find this funny you must be crazy but then you kind of just realise that everyone kind of has just a different idea of what they find funny and that just comes down to kind of like where you're brought up your background and just stuff like that one of the things that we brought up with Julia in that conversation was scripted and unscripted content my colleague Laurie and I when we've uh, traditionally marked some of these comedy programmes that come up in the third year we we often find that the unscripted stuff can often not be very funny at all. <laughs> but but sometimes it really works, and, and it's hard to say, whereas the scripted stuff is generally a little bit more successful in that mm. we can see, we can judge it as an attempt to be funny. funny. I feel like with, um, with this assignment as a whole, it's kind of weird because you can't necessarily use your own personal humour that you'd use to like mess around with friends because a lot of that type of humor is like a lot of personal stuff so if someone's listened to it from like the outside they wouldn't get certain things because they're not in your social circle so i feel like you kind of have to broaden your kind of sense of humor for this project especially but um going back to the whole scripted versus unscripted i i would have thought unscripted would have been funnier because i genuinely feel like there's times when me and my friends aren't even trying to be funny and we just say something stupid that's mm. the most funniest times some of the some of the times that i just i can't breathe and i'm just crying it's just something just that's just been said and it was just not even thought about like there was a time when i was just playing with some friends and my friend just jumped in the pool and he just shouted water is wet and just left and everyone just started laughing <laughs> it was so stupid but it was funny but well, um and I, I guess sometimes it's not so much a script as, as a format which um is important just to keep things moving along yeah to make it a listenable experience but yeah interesting and there's no uh, scientific formula that's why uh, i guess as we were alluding to earlier there are so many different sorts of comedy that different people find Def- funny i think it just being scripture just gives it a lot more structure yeah and oh and and perhaps one of the first things julia said which is interesting is the uh, not making it too confusing side of things maybe yeah. it's an important point to highlight uh, so the conversation with julia continued i asked her to explain the process involved for getting your radio comedy commissioned by the bbc studios well there's a, a kind of formalized process which is a commissioning round um, there's an annual commissioning round to um, pitch ideas to the commissioning editor for Radio 4 and um, we submit ideas as do about 100 other independent companies Um, and they don't really take submissions from individuals so what you'd have to do is find a producer to champion your your work and put it through. That, that's a bit of a process of trying to track down someone who's sympathetic to your ideas and wants to push it through. Mm. The guidelines usually come out, um, say, end of January, maybe sometime in February. 
So you can have a look at bbc.co.uk slash commissioning and most of the commissioning guidelines will be there. So you can read in detail what opportunities are available, what the commissioner is looking for. And there might be some supplementary information about shows previously commissioned or some detail about audience. And then you go through a process of um, the production company will enter the um, treatment into a, a system called Proteus where they have to do a synopsis and then set out, you know, if it's a sitcom, you'd do some storylines of chapter ideas. You'd suggest cast that you'd want to approach. Also, the commissioner may have previously requested that you attach some sample scenes so she can see examples of the writing. So I guess that's a very condensed sure. um, explanation of how it works. Um, Julia, what are the current trends in, in new radio comedy? Because you must be hearing a, a lot and, and, and you must be therefore hearing a lot of what's new and, and maybe certain things that keep coming around. What, what are the current trends? Um, it's hard to say, really. Um, I, you know, because you've got to bear in mind things are commissioned probably a year or even more before it goes out on air. So what was sort of um, having success um, some time ago, you know, now, you know, maybe different to what people are after now. I mean, I know that you know the commissioner talks about wanting original voices. She wants a range of voices. She just doesn't want it to be all white. Southeast, you know, white white middle class people from the southeast. She's looking to reflect the UK, and she wants you know more diversity in that respect. And that could be ethnic diversity, it can be gender, it can be sexuality, class, disability, and so on. Um, so I mean, that's increasingly sought after by commissioners who are just wanting fresh voices, basically. In terms of sort of wider comedy, you know, the comedy, the, the confessional style comedy has been happening for a good few years now, where people are talking about traumatic or difficult things they've processed. You know, that could be, I've seen shows about someone who dealing with eating disorders, you know, having anorexia and bulimia, mm. but doing it in a funny way. Uh, I saw a show in Edinburgh this year, which was someone talking about their sexual abuse as a child and you know some context of how they dealt with that as a child and then how they as an adult have finally shared their experiences there's people talking about you know women talking about being you know gaslighting you know sexual harassment difficult relationships miscarriages you know cancer you know there's there's a lot of that sort of thing of people working through their issues on stage Gosh, I mean that, that yeah. that's interesting. So so that sort of confessional and and I guess really opening up um and and those I guess almost taboo subjects um that that's something you're seeing a lot of at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's a sort of cathartic process for the the writer performer I think is a sort of form of therapy really that you're you're witnessing. Um yes, and and as you say um breaking into areas that might have been regarded as taboo and dealing with things that can make people feel incredibly um, uncomfortable. Mm. But I suppose in that situation is, you know, that's for the comedian to then work out how they're going to get laughs out of it and how they're going to um, reassure the audience that don't worry, you know, the thought of, you know, strapping into listening to an hour of someone talking about sex abuse as a child is, is a pretty grim prospect. So you have to work out how you're going to do that and relax them 
so you know that this particular guy a guy called johnny pelham um told us very early on in his hour that about the the sexual abuse and then proceeded to very deftly reassure us that it was going to be funny so he was doing gags around that revelation and consistently kept it funny throughout and um yeah handled it it really well and he made he said he made a conscious choice to um tell the audience really early on about what it was about rather than what a classic sort of device is around about the 40 minute mark in an hour show you then drop this Mm. bomb on the audience and you get a little bit of momentum from the shock value of that and then you sort of unpack for the last 20 minutes the repercussions from that so yeah it's just interesting to see the different ways that people um handle those challenging subject matters you know you might be in the audience and you won't necessarily have had that specific experience but um you you take something from it because you empathize with that person or it makes you think of something else that wasn't quite as bad but nevertheless it sort of unlocks doors for you in ways to sort of deal with difficult things and puts things in perspective or whatever and also it sort of shines light on different people's experiences which is always a really valuable thing I think. So Julia students who write academic research based essays are often asked to write literature reviews where they explain similar academic work and explain why theirs is different, etc, etc. I wondered if, if that's something which gets asked of a radio comedy creator. You you alluded earlier to originality and, and not being derivative. Do, do you often get things and say, this this sounds too much like something else that's already out there? Is that is that a conversation that happens? Yes, it is. Um, and ideally, you'd have it early on in the development process. So if someone comes up with a, a thing that's got a very similar premise to, to something else, we can try and nip that in the bud, I think. Mm. And oftentimes, it's not deliberate copying. It's just someone else has had a, you know, a really good idea that someone else has already got away. Mm. Or it could be something that was on radio 20 years ago. And they're you know, revisiting. And sometimes that's fine. If there's a big di- different, you know, big distance between the two, the two can coexist, but you ideally just need to be aware of it. So, you know, but it, the trouble is, is, you know, commissioners can be, sometimes be responsible for that because they'll see the success of Fleabag mm. and they'll start saying to people, because it's a shorthand, because obviously it's very helpful to be able to say, you know, it's a bit like this or that. So they'll say, oh, I'm looking for things in the fleabag mould. And so then they will encourage people to give them that sort of stuff. But then they've got six things in that mould. And then that's no good because then the viewers are all saying, oh, this feels very similar. You know, I'm sure with the success of Killing Eve, that has probably meant that people have rushed off and all thought about serial killer type setups, you know, which are funny. It's just inevitable because it then becomes part of the the zeitgeist, but there can be a saturation point and then commissioners will move on again away from that, will want to be surprised by the next thing, but they won't know yet what it is that they want to be surprised by. So I guess when people are starting out, don't get too bogged down in that sort of thing because I think it's natural for artists to initially emulate other people that they have been influenced by or admire. So I think that's true of comedians as they're trying to find their voice. They might be, you know, huge fans of, say, Ricky Gervais. 
and they might sort of emulate him quite early on in their career and I suppose you could say that's a sort of a necessary part of the journey for them but they sooner rather than the later they need to find out what their unique take is it's the same with people who write novels and um, musicians as well you know female singers may worship Amy Winehouse and start sounding off quite like her but then they do need to work out what their voice is and that is often the job of the producer is to push for that originality and to steer them away from sounding too much like other people and trying to find what is unique about them and then bring that to life. Thanks so much for your time, Julia. Just one last question. Um, is there the one thing at the moment that you're enjoying listening to or, or something that you might recommend, like maybe a podcast or a radio programme? Uh, sure, yeah. I mean, it's always a bit invidious for me to um, name just one or two things because then um, people might say, well, why didn't you mention my thing or whatever? <laughs> but I guess um, just FYI, it's quite interesting Um one of the things you asked me about was was trends in comedy, and I suppose one of the things I could have said is that actually cross-genre things, so when you're taking comedy and you're mashing it up with something else, is a growing trend, really. So one thing we have done is a podcast called Jacob Hawley on drugs, and that is on BBC Sounds, and that is a young comedian, Jacob Hawley, who is investigating the world of drug use and it's more of a sort of feature-based thing. It's not properly funny, but it's got moments of humour in it. And I suppose we're being asked increasingly to think about how we can use comedians differently to explore subject matters, because going back to something we talked about earlier, which is the way the comedic brain um, looks at a subject matter, gives a, a certain sort of approach, which can sometimes be quite journalistic so that's that's one example and then something else that I just think is is really good fun if you've got people who enjoy um, sketches are a group called The Pin and they did a few series on Radio 4 which was audience based and the latest series which I think is probably still available perhaps on Flip which is a box set um, podcast for the BBC um, that's a sort of hybrid of sitcom and sketch and there's no audience in it but they are great they're double act and they are very precise with the way they write jokes um, very lean um, a lot of wordplay they're super smart they're very conscientious they hone and hone stuff and that's a really nice example of smart sketches and then a an overall sitcom style arc between which is a dynamic between the two of them sharing a flat so i thought that was really nicely made so i would recommend having a listen to some of those episodes nathan julia spoke there about current trends in radio comedy uh, what jumped out to me was the talk of getting more diverse stories and voices on air so as a young black man, does that give you any faith that your productions, your audio productions, could be broadcast on the BBC one day? Um, I have a really weird outlook on life, I would say. <laughs> um, I, I, definitely, I definitely feel like it is definitely a good thing, yeah. um, kind of broadening the stretch of who can be on radio and stuff like that, and it does definitely give me hope. But I, I genuinely feel like as long as your work is good enough, you'll just make it. Yeah. I feel like... It's it, that's just how I I see it. I don't see it as like, like I understand obviously like mm. race and stuff, and I don't want to get into that. But I just feel like if your work is good, 
you'll make it like you'll get you'll get a knowledge if your work is good and that's what i try to do i try to just put my all into my work and it, it gives me a lot of faith like knowing that people don't care about the color of your skin it just mm. is your work good or not that's what they care about and that just gives me hope to be fair yeah and, and i guess it is a, it's a tricky line because you don't you don't want to be um given an opportunity because yeah of of your background you want it because you, I you it. yeah exactly and 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 maybe there's a, just a balance to be had yeah um, it is, it's definitely a really tight rope to kind of tread on yeah sure um we talked a little bit about commissioning at the start of the conversation there and the website bbc.co.uk forward slash commissioning has lots more information but she talks about the importance of siding up with a a production company getting a producer on side um, if you want your radio comedy to be made by the BBC so top tip there but the website has more information Um, I was quite interested as well to hear about some of the processes involved including sample scenes it sounds like it's a bit of a slog to get your BBC it sounds like such a long process i think she said they could take up to a year yeah and, and but what well do you not think what what's interesting is when you think about the podcasting and how accessible that is yeah that, that's probably why so many audio comedies are appearing as podcast, podcasts it's now. just easier well there's no there's no real barrier to entry as long as you've got the product you can put it online and pretty much but the only struggle is of course getting an audience to listen to it really interesting but e- even then now that we have social media mm. kind of finding that audience isn't isn't as hard as it would have been like 10 years ago yeah so there's definitely there are definitely barri- barriers now there's it's like there's new barriers but there's new ways to knock those barriers down at the same time so it's it's weird it's just a weird situation but I, I feel like I think one thing that I found very interesting um, with what she said was that um, she was talking about a lot of stuff that's on radio mm. took maybe one or two years to get on there mm-hmm. and then in addition to that a lot of the stuff that they were talking about might be updated so it's like how do you now bring this topic into let's say 2019 but in a way that people are going to care about in a way that people are going to find this funny and interesting yeah. so yeah yeah you're right it, yeah, and it can be go out of date really quickly i suppose yeah. as well she also talked about all this confessional stuff and talking about like these taboos so comedy about cancer or sexual abuse and that that's tricky isn't it and and yeah. and, and i think you like me probably wincing a little bit thinking oh how would how would you do that especially if it's in a student yeah. group it, it, it can it can definitely go left. Um, I've seen it go left a few times. There was there was this comedian that went on stage and spoke about um, Tentacion, the rapper, um, after he had passed away, and everyone was up in rules about that on social media. It was crazy. But then you have like someone like I don't know Dave Chappelle, mm. who would just constantly just drop the M word, and everyone finds it funny. It's just like they're both kind of like very like wayward things to talk about, but one kind of does it in a way where you can kind of understand the thought process, and one kind of just went on stage and started just being really disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. A question uh, I asked Julia about making sure your content is original and I guess reviewing the other comedy out there. Yeah. Um, ultimately, uh, although it's important not to copy other things, she does also allude to this, sometimes imitation of other art out there. Um, as long as you've got your own stamp on things, yeah. is okay. I, I wonder if, for example... Um, your love of Dave Chappelle might influence a, a, a comedy when you do your group comedy work on the radio. I, I, f- I feel like if I was to take anything from how Dave Chappelle, um, act, not acts, but like how he does his, his sketches and stuff, I, f- if, I definitely feel like it would be his energy. He has a lot of energy when he does stuff. And 
for me, typically, I'm not lazy, but I'm I'm usually just tired. I think that's more what it is. <laughs> but um, yeah, I feel like definitely bringing the energy to a comedy show is gonna just keep it will keep people there because they're like that the guy gets on stage and he's all like amped up and he's ready to like tell his jokes and it's like oh like what's he got to say? So I feel like just having energy is just a good thing. If anyone would like to contact us here at Fantastic Noise, be it with stories, suggestions for future podcasts, feedback, or something else, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at A Fantastic Noise. So, Nathan, before we go, it is time to talk terminology. Radio people love to overcomplicate things through the use of intricate language. I'm keen we make it simple and accessible for all. It's time for the Radio Word of the Week. This time it's two-way, a talk between a presenter and a reporter on a news story. An illustrated two-way might include audio clips like sound bites or vox pops. Uh, two-ways are usually scripted or at least bullet-pointed. So, Nathan, was two-way a term that you were familiar with? Um, no, it wasn't actually. Like, I knew, I knew exactly what you were talking about when you said, like, when you explained it, but I didn't know the term for it. There you go. But next time, when when you hear someone say, why don't you do a two-way with Adam or something like that? Yeah, definitely know what I mean. Exactly. That is it for this episode of Fantastic Noise. Thank you so much for joining us. There will be another episode next week. Do follow us on social media at A Fantastic Noise for updates and previews. Uh, Thanks to our guest today, Julia McKenzie, the head of radio comedy at BBC Studios. Special thanks to my co-host, Nathan Edwin. Our artwork was produced by Stu Elvin, Stu with a double O, and our theme music is by Liam Ayton, remixed by Daniel Potter. Uh, This podcast was produced by me for the University of Bedfordshire's radio team and recorded in the studios of Radiolab 97.1 FM. I'm Terry Lee, and this, I hope you'll agree, has been a fantastic noise.